This is the A. I'm Reg Clay. And Norman G. This is the A. Oh, look at you, Norman. You look fantastic. I, I will say more about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course. Okay, this is the A where we talk about life in the theater and the theater of life. Yay! Yeah, there you go. Uh, we are sponsored by Central Works, a new play theater. Headed up by Gary Graves and Jan Sleifler. Uh, reinventing theater one play at a time. We want to thank Central Work for sponsoring the Yay. And today we have a wonderful guest. We have Kayla Kaufman. She is an actress. Uh, let's see, you gave me a resume. You've done a lot of things. Well, uh, how did you and Norman meet? <laughs> on a uh, play cafe. Right on. Yeah, you, that's right. You are you are the facilitator of Play Cafe. I imagine when Play Cafe brings in plays, you sort of uh, sort of navigate where things go and who are our reading roles and things like that. You sort she, of navigate she, how things yeah. go. She herds the cats. <laughs> right on. <laughs> and how how long have you been doing that, uh, Kayla? Um, started my. I was actually supposed to do the first one with them in. March and it was going to be in person um and then you know things changed um but then I think it picked up I think back in April and then I've just been doing maybe April I might be wrong somewhere out there um uh, monthly zooms with them it's been nice Right. Now, awesome. And we'll learn more about that. And we've, we've talked about Play Cafe a lot. And we'll have uh, Jamie Greenblatt and uh, Richard Jennings on uh, a little bit later on. Um, I think maybe a couple of weeks from now, they yeah, uh, they head up Play Cafe. Right slash, the election, right? Right, exactly. They head up the Play Cafe slash Musical Cafe. And we've talked about them a bunch. Um, so we'll learn more about that. But as I begin each uh, podcast, how was your week, Norman? Well, that's why. So I kept the hat on and the scarf because I just finished. So Mara has been phone banking. Um, you know, uh, one of the uh, it's through, I think it's indivisible and people plug in. They have a whole system. Um, somebody she went to high school with was a local person doing it. And so she's been doing that for weeks. And so as a sort of thank you to these folks, um, they asked her to put together a little, so we put together Mara on trombone, um, Carla Kaufman, no relationship on bass and me singing. And we did three little songs to, so to say, thank you to all the phone bankers. So wow. finished that. was that, uh, was that recorded? I, you know, no, was... it was live over zoom. Okay. Well, I mean, we, you know, we record zoom all the time, but. Oh, they, they said they might record it because not everybody was there. So what they do is they meet and then they go off and you individually, you plug in and that's what the indivisible thing is. They have a list of registered voters. And so you plug into that list and you call people to make sure that their registration is current. And if they want to have more of a conversation than that about the election, then you do. But mostly. You're lucky if anybody answers the phone. It's, you know, I, I, I have mixed feelings about it because part of it is just sort of helping the DNC clean up their list. Yeah, um, you, yeah, you've been talking about that. They have, I guess, a list of voters, but, you know, the list is, is a bit old. So, it, Well, they don't know. It may be from two elections ago. You know, people move, phone numbers change. But if you get to talk to somebody, the script they give you really is just about saying in your state where you are, this is what the rules are, the law, you know, how you register to vote, what if you need to know where your local polling place is, we can give you all that information. Yeah. Hey, Kayla, and if you want to talk about the election or the candidates, please do. Yeah. I was going to ask, have you voted or uh, do you plan on voting? Oh, yeah, in no, I'm done. No, no. I was asking Kayla. Kayla, have you voted? It is in. I dropped it in the mail earlier this week. Yay. Right on. There you go. And I got my confirmation. So, um, yeah, I guess that's the big news. I think 47 million people have voted already. Yeah. A lot of them are Democrats. Uh, you know, the polls say that more Democrats are voting via mail and more Republicans will go, come and do it in person, which is usually an oxymoron because a lot of the Republicans are older people and usually right. be more. No, this man is going to kill more people with his with his antics than yeah. you know than the party would have ever dared. Yeah. Has uh, do either of us have any reactions to the second? Uh, I guess the last debate. I mean, there wasn't a lot of fireworks. I but, avoided uh, it. Yeah, I, I just couldn't do it. How about you, Kayla? Did you have any um, reactions? I, I, you know, I. I did not watch it. I looked at some highlights afterward because I just, you know, kind of knew what 
it was going to be already, I think, right. if, uh, you know. Right. Nobody was going to go off script, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you the most amazing thing. I think it happened at the very latter half of uh, the debates where I'm so glad someone brought up that there are 500 and I think 75 children who are still detained and removed from their parents. These right. are uh, the immigrant uh, children. Uh, the This is part of Trump's zero tolerance policy. Right. And I think Trump said, well, that's good. And not only that, but our cages are really, really clean. He, and he did like, not say good. He <laughs> He said, go ahead. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Okay. You can, uh, yeah, you can it, see it in the clip. It's he says it, and it's a real sort of New York accent thing. But he says, "Go ahead." Oh, oh, I understand. You I understand. Can see that he's saying two syllables. You can see it got reported as good. It did. It did. Horrible. Yeah. Uh, but he, but even him saying that, oh, we, you know, our facilities are really clean. And but by yeah. the way, Obama, you know, he's the one who really created the cages, yes. which is totally false because. You know, uh, the zero tolerance. Well, built, Obama built the facilities. Well, he built the facilities, but he didn't build them for kids. I mean, there's a no. specific law that says that kids are not to be separated and they're not yeah. to be even caged uh, in there. Yeah. So uh, that that I found interesting and just the callousness of it all. I mean, he really yeah. just doesn't care at all. And that about I found any a, of it, you yeah. know, COVID. Yeah. He's like, we're doing great. We're turning – what is the phrase he's using now? We've turned the corner or we've turned the corner. Like, we just had the highest count. Yeah. The, the second whole, highest in the whole pandemic. Yes. Right. So we have not turned the corner, my friend. Yeah. And and Obama, you know, he he gave a speech. He gave a wonderful speech. Uh, I forget how when it was, but he talked about how other countries – um, even India, that has a greater population than the United States, has a lesser count of COVID-19 yep. than we do. Yep. Canada's handling it better. I think Mexico's handling it better. A lot of folks are handling it better. The real uh, question is, how do the, those voters feel with all this going on? How, do, how can they keep just ignoring this and going, this is the man and he's doing a great job? Like really yeah it's it's really crazy now i did have a question for you i mean just getting into current events so i just just a few minutes ago so joe rogan and kanye west mm -hmm. had kanye west on his uh, podcast and but it also ties into a washington post article that talked about uh, a surprising number of black men who somehow gravitates towards trump now right. I'm not I'm not a member of that number and I know you're right. not but I do wonder and the article talked about I guess especially in the you know those who are aligned to the hip hop generation yep. sort of clings to the the hyper masculinity that's how the post talked about it of mm -hmm. black men and how they sort of look at Trump as the boss or you know a guy who is sort of the tough man um I mean, what's your take on that, Norman? I mean, do you feel there are well, a bunch of black men who, who gravitate yeah. toward Trump? Oh, so I think part of it is legitimately <clears throat> Biden has got a, a, a crappy record. Now, what's amazing to me is they look at Biden's record, but they don't look at Trump's. Because they're buying the GOP narrative is he's not a politician. This is the first time he's ever held office. And while he's been in, he's tried to do some good thing for black people. That's the narrative. But it's like, well, wait a minute. Central Park Five. Yeah. Housing. You know, I mean, they they settled with the State Department, not State Department, the local um, HUD agency over housing. Yeah. That was you back know? when his father uh, was. Yeah. Um, yeah Fred Trump. So I don't know how these black men are ignoring that, but legitimately they are. And I feel like it's the same impulse that has pushed us into Black Lives Matter. We don't see anything changing. We don't see the powers you know, that be making any inroads into fixing anything. So people went to the streets. I think that same energy looks at Biden and says he's a part of it. And it's like, well, he's a part of it. But it's sort of like being mad at Antifa. Antifa is a reaction to the right-wing violence that is right. going on at protests. That is right. what Antifa is. Yeah. So if they, if they weren't one, there wouldn't be another. Yeah. 
you got to get mad at these people because they're the cause of it. So yeah. how do they not see Trump as part of the problem? I don't know. Yeah. Kayla, here's a question for you. I mean, not only black, you know, I guess there's some black men who cling towards Trump, but there are also some white women. I, I call them the um, the Carol Brady's or, you know, the uh, I guess there's some women who sort of stand by your man like, you know, this is a strong man and or for religious reasons. There's some women who cling towards Trump. I mean, how do you do you have a take on that at all or just what's your overall take? How, how confident do you feel about um, what, uh, you know, the election a week from now? God, um, I feel confident that we won't know anything on Election Day, which is going to be rough. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I know I am confident it'll be an emotionally chaotic time. I am not really confident about outcomes. And I mean, you know, with white women, it's like, it's exactly what you think it is, right? I mean, it's like, one guy is like, let's keep white supremacy going, like, this is working, we love it, it's great, and the other guy is like, absolutely, I'm holding white supremacy at the same time, but is like, maybe, like, maybe, maybe not a hundred thousand percent that, and so I think that, you know, white people are kind of like, I want to keep my privilege and I want to keep it as shiny and as accessible as I possibly can. And so like, you know, of course you're going to go for the guy who's like all in for that as well. Yeah. Uh, you know, whether but, that's on a conscious level or subconscious. Right. Uh, yeah. What I was going to say, um, because obviously, you know, all white people aren't the same. You know, there's some people who are really, really woke and who are really, really upset with what's going on. And then there are those who just like what you're saying, you know, they want to hold on to their privilege or they're up, they're upset. Status offended. quo. They want to hold on to what they've done. And not only that, they're offended. They're like, why should I change? You know, why, you know, just because, right. you know, I didn't do it. Right, exactly. Have you had any difficult conversations with, let's say, family or friends because of, oh. you know, the political climate, uh, Kayla? Yeah, I definitely, I mean, I, you know, I am in the Bay Area, and so I am predominantly surrounded by uh, pretty, pretty liberal folks. I kind of consider myself a little bit to the left of liberal, mm -hmm. um, and so I, I think a lot of my conversations are kind of people who do consider themselves Democrats and actually talking about, you know, things on a different, a, there, there, there is more than just being a Democrat and there's more than just being a liberal and there's like other aspects to consider. And so that's been most of it. Um, that being said, I do. Um, well, it sounds know. like you're a moderate, you're, you're a moderate Democrat <laughs> or you're a moderate liberal. Well, she's saying more left of liberal. Oh, yeah. oh, really? Oh, you're ultra liberal. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that <laughs> the yeah the terminology of liberal is a whole other conversation. But yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, I I don't know. I think. Uh, Did you wish that let's say Bernie or um, uh, Elizabeth Warren should have won the in, in nomination? I think that would have been great. Um, yeah. I, I definitely know. was more behind their politics than I am. Biden's and I right. find their records more than I am Biden's too. Um, but you know, I am I am still absolutely there. There's a there's a pretty pretty clear choice on uh, which which candidate would make any inroads to positive change and which won't. Right. Uh, yeah. You would think. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, I've um and and you were mentioning this. Um, we actually somebody that we know. I won't mention a name, but called me and. I knew the conversation was getting weird when I heard, um, well, you know, this hysteria about this disease. You know, 99 point something percent of people don't even get it. I was like, whoa, what? I think I may know who you're talking about. Oh, my goodness. It was it was not good. No, so it wasn't like last week we talked about somebody. This is oh, somebody else. Got it. I see. I see. Yeah. And I was like, whoa. Oh, no, 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 no. And then, you know, and it's really not fair. They're maligning the president. They're, Donald Trump, they're really just going overboard attacking Donald Trump. And I was like, I, um, I got to go. <laughs> I got to yeah. get off the phone now. <laughs> it's, it, you know, it's really unfortunate. I mean, and also listening just a little bit to the uh, the Kanye West interview, you know, he's running for president, but, you know, he's really just doing it just to be counter 
to be uh, to do something completely different, and uh, yeah. he's sort of operating in his own little world. I just wonder how seriously people take politics. I mean, a lot of people think, well, like we had an interview with um, I think Corinne Ritchie, and it was uh, uh, maybe a year, more than a year ago, and she was like, "How much of a damage can a president make?" Um, now we know. We really know how much damage a president can make, <laughs> right. and how serious. We need to, you know, take our vote, and uh, I think this has been a great big civics lesson for all of us. Oh yeah, uh, how seriously to take that, and also the Senate, and the House, and the governor, and and all of that stuff. So, I'm hoping that we'll learn. We'll look back in 2020 and say, wow, you know, those four years were really crazy, but we don't have to worry about that anymore. So I think we should do some homework for next week and and make sure we talk a little bit about mental health. Yes, <laughs> I think yes, people I, are going to need it. <laughs> I totally agree. And with that, let's bring in Kayla Kaufman. I'm looking at your resume now, and I mean ACT Fellowship Project, uh, the SF Public Library French Play, um, New Strands Festival, Santa Cruz Shakespeare. You've done so 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 much, and 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 I, Ashland. If COVID hadn't yeah, Ashlyn. I mean, derailed that. It's yeah. a, it's amazing, and uh, you don't seem that old. I mean, uh, so tell us an origin story. How did you get involved in theater? Where were you? Where did you? Um, where were you born and raised? Uh, Bay Area, actually. My origin story is Bay Area public schools. Um, I, yeah, I happened to go to a public high school that had a really excellent theater program. Oh, which school? Uh, Redwood. Okay. In Larkspur. And it, I mean, you know, was pretty literally transformative for my life. I, you know, I kind of, uh, I think I originally signed up for another, you just were supposed to take an arts extracurricular. And I think I originally signed up for something else and they put me in theater uh, (laughs) because I couldn't get into my first choice. And I was like, uh, you know, and for theater, you have to take it for a full year. Whereas the other ones, it could just be one semester. And I was like, okay, well, you know, give it my all. I'm a complete nerd. I will like totally leave oh. anything that school gives me. Bless you. Um, but do you have any siblings? Yeah. You have Is any... that when, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was just going to ask, do you have any siblings? I have an older brother. Okay. Are you the only one in the theater? Is he also in theater as well? Nope. Nope. I'm the only, <laughs> only art kid. So and... was that your first exposure to theater? I'm to well, doing theater. I had actually, I had done theater in the first grade uh, where I played the very prestigious role of the Munchkin mayor's wife um, in The Wizard of Oz, uh, which was my breakout role, yes. Um, But then between, I I think I, and then I also did like Sound of Music at some point in between those two, but that was, I mean, it was just kind of one-offs. You were singing? I was, yeah. All right on. Um, but yeah, the the, the acting days are, uh, you know, behind. But um, uh, yeah, but then in uh, public school theater, um, junior year, you were able to take a honors theater directing class, and oh, nice. I took it. And I kind of was, I don't know, I just you know clicked. Uh-huh. I was, I kind of realized I was like, this is a, this feels like a role I enjoy. I like putting things together on stage. I like the power of things that you can put on stage. I like having the power to think about what could be on stage and how that could affect an audience. Um, and uh, who was your teacher? Going back. Who was your teacher? Uh, Eric Berkowitz and Britt Block. Eric Book. Eric uh, still works at Redwood. Britt uh-huh. uh, just recently graduated from there uh but they both are phenomenal human beings you know it's funny i have a question for both of you uh since it sounds like kayla you're more into directing than actual acting that that's sort of what i'm hearing Mm -hmm. um i was listening to michael jordan and i guess someone did an interview with michael jordan especially after lebron james won uh the his his fourth championship and michael talked about how he really couldn't be a coach because you know he wanted to i guess he, he's been too much into being on the courts that he wouldn't know how to teach someone how to be like him or whatever. And I thought about acting. I mean, um, there are folks who really enjoy being on the stage and feeling the light on them. But then there are those who they really enjoy the power of, um, you know, just crafting the stage and all of that stuff. Um, when did you I, when did you realize that 
you loved theater, but you didn't necessarily want to be on the stage. Um, hmm. do, uh, and I guess I'll ask both of you. I, uh, ladies first, Kayla. <laughs> um, honestly, I think it was around the time that I directed for my first time, really. Uh -huh. it, uh, clicked pretty quickly for me it just it just was a complete difference of mm -hmm. how I felt in relation to my art and one felt you know I enjoy acting I still do um but <clears throat> it all it always felt like I'm like I love this I love being a part of this but it wasn't quite right um and directing felt a whole lot better so yeah, do you remember you. what the piece was um I think my first piece was check please Jonathan Rand. Um, and then my second piece, which I think is the one that really uh, kind of got it for me, uh, was a piece called I Thought I Liked Girls. Oh. Um, that was like a basically coming out satire. Right. Um, and not having been and come to terms with my sexuality at that point. Uh, but I still think I was like, oh, like this is a you know, I can take this political theme, I can make people laugh about it, and then that makes them think about it a little bit. And uh, that that kind of... That's power. Yeah, that's yeah. that's cool. Yeah. Now, I know for me, I, I, I was, I had done some directing, but I was with the African American Shakespeare Company. <clears throat> and I kept doing all these things just to make the process go better, the production process go better. And after a while, I realized I was making decisions <laughs> you know like we're going to set the setup this way and the actors we're going to use this over like we worked in a space once where there was only entrances from one side and there was a crossover but it really meant that you had to be very strategic at, at one point we actually had an actor go in the light booth which was on the other side to exit and stay there until we could get them back in in another scene and it, you know it a lot of it was what a director would do the thinking on how do I solve this problem? How do I make this work? And I found I was doing more and more. I was already doing much of the casting. Even though somebody else was nominally the director, I'm the one in their ear. I, at one point, um, African American Shakespeare Company did a beautiful um, adaptation of Julius Caesar, taking it from like the Martin Luther King Civil Rights Movement through Malcolm X to the death of Malcolm X. Um, Caesar was Malcolm X. Into the Black Panthers. Um, it was a gorgeous reinterpretation of the play. I loved it. I had already set up this thing where I was reading scripts before auditions, a month or two before auditions, I would have a read of the script so that anybody who wanted to get more familiar with it could. And this woman came in and she read and she was amazing. She came in carrying Roman histories, like real Roman histories. <laughs> And she really knew the stuff backwards and forwards. She also happened to be an amazing performer. You know, she just, um, orator, she was incredible. So what I was doing was reading people scene by scene. I would recast so that everybody at the table could get a chance. I read her for something, cause I didn't know her. So I read her for something in an early scene, like a servant or something. And I was like, uh oh, she knows her way around this language. So then I just kept her out until we got to the big Mark Antony speech and threw her in that. So I called the director up and I'm like, um, are you thinking about casting, you know, any cross-gender casting for this? He says, yeah, Cassie. So I'm like, mm, that's a weak choice. That's not a good choice. Um, what about Mark Antony? And he says, um, I don't know. And I said, I, okay, so I've got somebody I think you really want to see for this. He has her come in and I, I asked her about it afterwards because he had her come in, asked her to read Cassius. She tore it up, and Cassius is a great role. It's not that. It's just that, to my way of thinking, at the towards the end of the play, Brutus and Cassius are on the edge of getting in a fight. And I put a little woman and a warrior, because Brutus is a warrior character, if I put them in a scene where they're about to have a fight... <laughs> yeah, that, that's... It, this is not the story we're trying to tell. On the other hand, Mark Antony never directly fights with anybody... And this actress was, if you were going to cast this show, you should cast your best orator as Mark Antony. That's what you should do. So to her credit, she asked him if she could read the Mark Antony speech. And that was it. She got cast. And the reviews said, we don't know why they cast a woman as Mark Antony, but she was the best thing in the show. I'm like, duh. How about that? How about that's why? 
Um, but at that point, I started to recognize, oh, I am already thinking this way, and I'm already controlling many aspects of production through this. <laughs> Maybe I should just do it. <laughs> Yeah, and you know it's it's and we've we've talked with a lot of directors, and the director can put a, a stamp, you know, on a, let's say a production like let's say Julius Caesar, and you know this is a Norman G production or this is a Susan Evans production, right. and it's distinctive. It's a Dominique Williams production. Right, uh, Kayla, what do you think your stamp would be? I mean, what message do you send when people see a Kayla Kaufman production? Um. I mean, I I have mixed feelings on the idea of the um, kind of auto type uh, approach because nice. I I'm very much I I love new works, um, but yeah. I say that because I just I am obsessed with playwrights in general, and I think that they are brilliant and wonderful and fantastic, and so I think the success of my you know what I put on stage is a huge amount, just my choices at the very beginning. Do I choose a play that is meaningful and impactful for the you know space and audience that I'm hoping it will be impactful for? And do I cast right? And then everything from there, it's like, well, <laughs> those, are, those are the only things that matter. The playwright right. and the actors have all the talent. Oh, and also hire the right designers. Uh, yeah. But besides that, I'm like, I feel like in some ways I kind of do, you know, that that's it. I make good choices and then it's a good production. If I make bad choices, it's not as good of a production. Well, I, I can uh, think of two questions. One is just in terms of your training. So you went thinking I'm becoming a director. Did you get, did you get a degree for directing? I did. Yeah. So I actually, well, um, I, in the transition from high school to college, I actually was certain that I wanted to direct, but I thought that I wanted to direct film. Oh! Um, and so I originally was only applying to film product, mm -hmm. uh, film um, majors. Programs, yeah. Um, and I was going to double major in film and television production and Spanish. Um, wow! And then uh, one semester in, I was at the Dean of Theater Arts and I was saying, I need to be in. I don't know how to function without theater. <laughs> um, really? They're very yeah. different animals. Yeah. I mean, it's, I, I love, I love film for a lot of specific reasons and there's absolutely so much, both that theater has that film doesn't and that film has that theater doesn't, but it's mm -hmm. just, they're not, they're not just a one for one. Well, how is this mix then? How do you see this mix that's happening right now? I was just reading the American Theater article about the fight between equity and SAG. And this is in the theater magazine. So you know they're trying to support that position. And I'm reading the article and go, wow, y'all are having a hard time um, fighting this because SAG justifiably says, if it's on a screen, it's ours. <laughs> Yeah. And it seems weird. How do you, uh, I'm sure you've done some at this point, some of these Zoom production things. How do you find it working with that hybrid, that animal, that new animal that is COVID theater? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I'm actually um, talking with a, a collaborator that I love um, about this right now and we've kind of been discussing how a lot of it has been taking theater and just like trying to slap it onto zoom yeah um which i'm i i and i did i did a reading of uh sarah rules dear elizabeth oh right yeah i saw that yeah um i mean yeah. i saw that you had done that yeah yeah and i i i had a great time i thought it was lovely but i also kind of was just thinking this this is written for theater um yep. and theater is not people in front of a screen it's you know that's it's different um and so i'm kind of of the opinion that i don't think what we're doing is theater but i don't think that it's film but i also don't think that it's not film and i don't think that it's not theater i think right. it's, you know we have we it's it's a new medium and it's i think the more that we accept that mm -hmm. and look into what are those possibilities Right. That like, what can we do on Zoom that we can't do on a stage? That's what I want to know. You know, yeah. like, 
what are what are what are the qualities that we have to work on here that we're not going to be able to once we are you know back in um, theaters and not doing zoom theater because you know i'm sure people will be just burnt out and done with it um so yeah, yeah it reminds so me of a lot yeah. of um you know that period the aids period the theater in terms of theater um that there were a lot of playwrights writing these sort of coy um you know allusions to what was going on without directly trying to address it and that went for a few seasons there were these shows that kept popping up and i think it becomes its own little period and i i feel like that's what we're in we're in this period where there's some stuff that is going to be that is going to be you know honored and become part of the canon there's some stuff that's going to be just indicative of the period and maybe useful as a metaphor for something that happens in the future but i think i think a lot of it like you're saying it just there's a lot of it that ends up being an awkward fit yeah i think you're absolutely right and so many theater companies because we're thrown in a loop it's like well we got to do something we can't just stay idle uh, so we have to do something zoom in some some theater companies have done very well transitioning and they choose pieces that really fit for zoom or they'll ask writers hey can you write something that will fit for zoom right but then you have some that just try to shoehorn in something that is really belongs in theater on stage and it just doesn't fit in zoom at all i had a quick question for you kayla and it's something that i sort of enjoy asking directors because as an actor I, i'm really curious how you talk with different actors, how you find different voices. Let's say uh, you have a vision for you know what the piece should be, but let's say an actor, and every actor is different. They come from different cultures, different backgrounds, and you want to have everyone on the same page, but sometimes you may have to find a different voice. Have you had any difficult, um, let's say, have you had any um, difficulty talking with an actor who just, who may not get it? Who may not understand the concept that you that you want to convey? Hmm. Um. I mean, I I mean, hmm. definitely have had challenging conversations, but I also think one of the things that I like about being a director is you can totally plan the heck out of whatever you're doing. Um, but then you also are the person who gets to decide if you're going to throw it right in the trash. Um, and so, you know, what I was talking about earlier, making good choices, I try to only work with people who I trust their artistic instincts mm -hmm. completely. And sometimes that is, you know, I'm just meeting them in an audition room and like, why do I have the instinct to trust them entirely with their artistic vision? I don't know, but it's just an instinct that, you know, happens sometimes. Um, uh, so I, I mean, I, I, I like to think that whenever I'm having trouble um, explaining what I am kind of shooting for in some moment, that probably means if there's any, you know, not smooth, um, you know, give and take between that, that means that there's something that needs to be worked over and worked through. And that probably means that the person I'm talking to has some angle on it that I haven't considered and that I should and that will almost I, I think all 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 the time will strengthen what we're working on and will maybe take it in a slightly different direction but probably for the best yeah I totally hear you have you had any have you made any let's say bad casting decisions where you think wow this person is perfect and all of a sudden it's like ooh, this person's not perfect <laughs> right exactly have you had those situations I I am pretty lucky to say that I don't think, I mean, I've, I've definitely had ones where I, you know, like I'm saying, I, I, I thought something going in um, and then ended up with something else. I've definitely, you know, I've had actors where I felt, uh, you know, if they have a lot of trouble with their lines, that has been, you know, a stressor with a handful of actors in the past for sure. And right. I've had some actors that I think I really, really had to work with to get out of a sense of two dimensionality, especially in, uh, you know, comedy, dramedy right. type situations. Um, but I've never, I've never regretted 
a casting decision. Well, that's good. Norman, Norman, I have a question for you. And I think I know the answer already, but a lot of times you'll choose the actors. You're working with people that you know, but there are times where let's say a producer comes in and says, hey, I really want you to work with this person. And you are sort of forced to work with someone that you didn't cast. What's the stress dealing with that? Or how, how do you deal with that? It's funny. I was going to ask Kayla a similar question. Um, You know, the difference between when you get to pick the show, this is a play that I love that I would like to see realized versus the, hey, we've got this play and we would like you to direct it. So um, I'll throw that to you. But um, I, 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 Kayla sort of touched on it when that person has their vision, their way of approaching whatever it is, and you have those discussions about what it is you feel like you need to accomplish, and if you don't make the adjustment, then it's gonna suck. If you try to hold on to your vision and not recognize that this person is not going to get there, or when they get there, it's not gonna ring true, you, you're just kind of stuck and you have to redo it. And I, you know, even with experiences we've had where you know, I was looking for a totally different energy from this character, but now I need you to, because I can't get you to go where I want you to go, I need you to just, you know, blow it up bigger or bring it down and keep it really tiny. Whatever it is I can keep you to do from going off the rails as I see it. And then what I end up learning most, if I'm lucky, that that new choice, that new adjustment now informs what we're doing. This is now the new normal. This is what we're trying to accomplish. And so I find, you know, to to sort of touch on my own question, um, I am fascinated when somebody gives me a play that they think I should direct. And I may not be that excited by it. And in fact, I've, I've, (laughs) I've recommended plays and ended up directing plays that were not my favorite plays. But I thought it was a good fit for what the producer wanted to do. So I was like, with your space, with your audience, with your talent pool, this might be a good way to go. And what I love is that I end up falling in love with those shows. And I'm like, okay, it's it's sort of like your child. This isn't the way you thought your child was going to be. This is the way your child really is. And so you just sort of have to go with that. So, yeah, and uh, so I guess the question for you, Kayla, is have you ever had to direct a piece that you didn't choose? You know, someone's like, here, I want you to do this. And it's like, well, this is a little odd, but hey, I'm being paid. So whatever. Have you had to deal with that? Um, I mean, I, kind of no. I, oh. I, the, well, I mean, I've, I've not pitched every single play that I've directed, but the few that I haven't. Uh, like when I directed Crumble, Lay Me Down, Justin Timberlake, that was a truly bizarre uh, twist of fate where I had done a staged reading for that play, um, you know, in uh, I think December of one year. And then in February the next year, somebody said, hey, they're looking for a director for this show, you should apply. And then I ended up directing that. And mm. um she kills monsters which was one of my more recent ones this year mm-hmm. um was one that i had wanted to direct for a while and then happened to have an opening with actors ensemble of berkeley to direct for she kills monsters and i was like yes please yeah. <laughs> so i've um been extremely fortuitous with those i guess so i wonder coming out of school what's that transition how how do you make the transition from school to i'm out here working as a director how did that go for you? Um, I mean, you know, <laughs> tricky. Uh, I think especially for directing, there's just absolutely no path, uh, right. which is, you know, and I always kind of tell myself, if I ever figure out a path, I am going to write a book and I'm going to give it for every <laughs> single young director to have because I right. think it's so, it's so, it's, it's so confusing. Um, but for my post school i got to um do two years of um season-long positions at different theater companies so right out of school i well i actually was with santa cruz shakespeare for the summer and then i went to a portland stage company in maine yeah and i was a directing and dramaturgy intern with them for a year 
-hmm. And then the summer after I directed with Santa Cruz Shakespeare and with the North Carolina Women's Theater Festival. Wow. And then the following year, I was an artistic fellow with American Conservatory Theater. Uh And then after that was when I graduated into freelance directing. Uh Um, But I think that those years of being with a company for a whole season were crucial Mm -hmm. for me to kind of just feel what having a foothold in a theater company felt like. And also uh, getting you know, on inside. And also getting your name out. I mean, because, yeah. you know, if you do a good enough job, then ACT will, whoever works, whoever you've worked with an ACT will basically say, hey, this is a great director. You should work with Kayla Kaufman. Um, that sounds that's like a lot of travel, though. <laughs> it is. <laughs> Were you when you do these fellowships, are you paid? Because I would wonder, you know, that, you know, if you're, you know, can you can you do all of this and not have a day job? So they have I have been living uh, below the poverty line, but mm-hmm. I have been living there. Um, so, for example, with Portland Stage, I mean, I will say that my t- you know, not unpopular take, but very not enough talked about take is that I think almost all of these programs are extremely exploitative and like Mm. really, really unfair for early Mm. career theater folks. And I think it's extremely just inherently going to, you know, give people with privilege a leg up. There's just, it's bad. Uh, I think these programs are pretty awful. Um, because for example, with Portland stage company, um, I was given housing Mm -hmm. and we were given a stipend of $90 a week. Um, and so for that year, I, you know, I didn't have healthcare. Um, I couldn't afford it on $90 a week. You know, I was, but you know, I was, I had a place to stay and I was never worried about not having a roof over my head, which was enormous. Um, yeah. And, you know, getting groceries and things like that. And, you know, luckily I stayed healthy enough for that to not be a problem, um, which, you know, again, huge privilege to be in a body that could live that year. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, and then for ACT, it was pretty awful because they have far, far, far more money than a Portland Stage Company, but they gave housing and nothing. And so I was working on top of that whole oh, year. Yeah. I, mean, mm-hmm. I you know, used savings from the summer where I was being paid and also working on top of the you know full-time job that was being a fellow um, in order to make that work. Um, and I think that I'm incredibly, incredibly privileged to have been able to do either one of those, let alone both. Um, and they really, I mean, they're very problematic. They really, right. really are. Do you feel like this um, this push for equity that is happening now is going to affect that sort of baseline of we're not going to depend on just taking advantage of people? <laughs> I mean, I God, I hope so. I I think it's 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 tough though because I think it's just it's so ingrained in our system that people have trouble even imagining what it would look like without having people to walk on, you know. Um, I, in both companies that I worked at, um, had conversations with firm management about how problematic I thought the systems were and how I thought that they didn't, and it just, you know, (laughs) those conversations often were kind of like, ah, you know, you're so right, but like, it's just you know uh, we, we can't we can't do anything about it and like well right. actually yes you can you are actually the only person who can do anything about it like I can't right. I you know I don't run this theater company but actually you can right it uh, seems like that's where the conversation is going now is this yeah actually <laughs> yeah this is you know this list of demands if you just even enter into the conversation you will recognize pretty quickly you can make choices and you are making choices even when you say you can't do something, you are making a choice. Yes. You know, and I see a horrible trend because we've had a couple of guests on. They've talked about, you know, going into a school, you know, an academic school, either for acting or for directing with all these dreams of, wow, when I get out of here, I'm going to do great things and this school is going to really take care of me. But then you hear about the exploitive nature <clears throat> where you're paying more of the money or your parents or whoever. Right. If you don't have a scholarship and you're putting out more 
but the school isn't really putting out so much. I mean, I'm sure you're getting the knowledge or whatever, but it sounds like the school is taking more from you, taking more of your, you know, like let's say they'll have a showcase or you're directing something or you're acting something and the school can show that off, but they're not paying any money and clearly they have the money to pay. And right. I would be like, if I'm a young person and I need to worry about, you know, when I went to NYU, I had to work. I had to work at Mamma Mia, what a pizza. And I had to work for, you know, the graduate law school and all that stuff. So I was constantly working so I can pay my rent because I wasn't on campus and all that stuff. I don't know how a young student is going to be incentivized to convince their parents <laughs> to pay for theater, but also fend for themselves while they're working, you know, nonstop for, you know, whatever the directing or acting they're doing. Has your family been supportive of you with your career or is that something that has evolved? Yeah, I mean, I um, am very lucky that, you know, grew up in the Bay Area, my family is still here. And so I have always had a safety net of if everything goes to shit, um, my parents would, you know, take me in. And, sure. um, you know, and in between jobs, I've stayed with them and things like that. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's weird because I think that, you know, my my mom worked in schools uh, as a school psychologist. My dad worked in finance and, you know, my brother works in, uh, you know, managerial stuff as well. And so um, I think everyone's kind of like, you know, uh, keep, keep, keep doing it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, that, that's, that's awesome. That's great. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. And I'll, it sounds like, go ahead. Rich. No, I'm sorry. Uh, go, go for it. I was just, you know, partly I'm looking at time and going, okay, we're, you know, we're getting that place. Um, but uh, so, uh, you know, often when we talk about is, you know, how is the Bay Area treating you? And I'm wondering, do you feel like your career is rooted here or, you know, are you really at that place where it's just sort of exploring where to be next? Um, yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a good question. I, um, my thought was after when well when I went to Maine I never intended to stay in Maine for too long. Um, I you know I kind of was like can do this for a year, but yeah, it's Maine. I don't think Portland, Maine is my place. Um, it was lovely. It truly was for yeah. a season. Um, and then after I kind of I told myself I want my next thing to be in a place where I can imagine myself staying for an extended amount of time. Mm -hmm. And so I was only applying to fellowships, apprenticeships, that kind of thing in cities where I could imagine growing my career. Right. Um, and I kind of leaned towards the Bay Area a little bit because I actually, my brother, who's older than me, was uh, going to be having a baby soon. Uh -huh. um, and I wanted to be there because oh, yeah. you know, there's the theater mentality of like, I probably will never be able to afford to have a child. So like, might as well be there for my, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, the family that I Oh, have. I know that feeling. Yes. Yep. Um, but yeah, I mean, so that was, the, that was my thought was I would be at ACT and then I would really lean into whatever connections I have here, you know, invest in my community and see what I can do while I'm in the Bay Area and then see what happens from there. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a complicated space, the Bay Area. It really is because it's yeah. uh, a lot of, it, it doesn't have a lot of middle ground. It kind of is, you know, there's, there's very small and there's slightly less small. And then there's the huge ones with a ton of money and like in right. between you kind of like, it's, you know, so it's either you need to have, you know, Broadway credits in the MFA or you need to, you know, work your way up through, you know, these other uh, theaters that do a lot of incredible work, but there's only A, so much there and B, so many people who get stopped there. Right. Move on. And so there's all this, you know, like upper, uh, uh, just impacted at the top where it's like, you can't really get through because mm -hmm. um, there's it just you know all those spaces are taken the people the directors that the theater company is used to work with is going to keep on working with those and uh right. you know there's not a whole lot of um there are not a lot of companies that want to take any chances with somebody new it sounds like yeah yeah well yeah. and at this point we're in the middle of covid so <laughs> right you know who, yeah if they're doing a show it's definitely they're going at their they're going for their a list of directors 
Yep. And hoping that that production can, you know, prove that it's time to start again. I mean, we are we are at the cusp of this, it seems like. Yeah, I did have one quick question, and I know that we're running into we've hit the one hour mark already or close to the one hour yeah, mark. Yeah. But I was wanting to talk about your in, your involvement with uh, Play Cafe, because we've had a lot of folks who um, have been involved with Play Cafe, uh, Jerome Gentes and a lot of actors who uh, and it's been a boon for me because I've submitted my play. I think I had my second reading of Foreman in Paris at the Play Cafe, and it was wonderful. The, the dramaturg was there, and there were actors there, and I got good constructive criticism. How did you get involved with Play Cafe, and how's it uh, meant uh, for you? Um, so that was actually uh, my show, She Kills Monsters, uh, opened in January of this year, which is a lifetime away. Um, and Jamie went to one of the performances that I was at and met me afterwards and said that she would like to have me um, as a moderator slash dramaturg. And I was interested. I, you know, I've been, I, I think I mentioned this earlier, like, you know, a new, pre new play type guy uh, for my whole time with theater. Um, and so being able to get in and hear new works from new artists that I might not have already been connected to was very appealing. And is still, um, you know, I think that there's some of the times where I go into a play cafe and, you know, I'm a little tired from the day from, you know, like a long day of work or whatever. And then I'm like, okay, now I need to go on Zoom and sit here for a while longer. Uh, but then I'll leave kind of revived from being around other creative folks and talking about theater and storytelling. And um, it can be, it, it can be a really, really awesome collection of art and artists that are on those little Zoom experiences. You know, it's, it's been wild. Um, you know, to, you said you like working with, you know, new works and playwrights. And you, boy, you're getting, it's like the first taste of, of a lot of these works. It's kind of amazing. Yeah. Yeah, and you have, you have no idea where these new works will go. You know, it may be the newest. I think uh, there were a couple of, um, I'm not sure if Kinky Boots uh, started in the Bay Area, but a lot of these new it works definitely are new did artists. It's out of town thing here, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you have no idea whether, you know, you hear something and all of a sudden, you, it may be the beginning of something really, really big and it got its beginnings. Um, with a reading, you know, at the Play Cafe. Well, uh, Kayla, thank you so much. Uh, we we might as well, we better get into shout outs uh, so that uh, folks can, you know, get on with their days. Uh, birthdays? Oh, yeah. And, and I have to say, I went to um, to the De Young yesterday. We had tickets and we went. Um, and that was my cafe. When I suggested the cafe thing, it was because I, when we got there, the first thing we heard, they, you know, there's a line of people trying to get in. We had trouble parking, so we were almost half an hour late for our tickets. And, you know, no problem. I mean, there's a big line, and they are tracking you going in. But somebody walked up right in front of us when we walked up and was asking about being able to go to the cafe. And first the woman said no. One, that it was closed because it has limited hours. <laughs> and two, um, that you have to have a ticket to get in. And I was like, oh, wait a minute. So that means the cafe is open. You just have to come during those hours. I'm like, oh, cool. So I was so happy because I suggested that to you. But uh, birthdays, uh, Lawana Stewart's birthday is today. Um, through the African-American Shakespeare Company, I met a group of high school, then high school students and that was, you know, that was in the 90s. So we're all a lot older now. But Luana was a stage manager for us way back then and continued, started her career from that. Ashley Smiley, educator at UC Berkeley. I don't think I've ever met this person, but I know that she does a lot with theater and she's very strong activist in Bay Area theater. So, you know, very excited to see that it's her birthday. And Darren Corallo who is, I don't know what his title is exactly, but he's sort of like the executive director of uh, 42nd Street Moon. He's very connected to what's going on there. His birthday is today. I'm going to skip some because I know Reg had some. Richard Side is um, known throughout the Bay Area. I guess at some point he was a director, but he is prominently known, Bay Area and LA, as a teacher, acting teacher, very expensive acting teacher, but people who've taken him swear by him. Uh, Emily Austin, Michael Barrett Austin's wife, and I know Emily. I met Emily at Cal Shakes. 
uh, when she was working in the education department. And so now I know she's doing a lot of her own. She was working in the office. Now she's actually doing teaching um, and directing in schools. Um, Michael Patrick Gaffney, who I've barely met, but he is an actor in Bay Area. His birthday is coming up this week. Evie Abat is a Filipina actress um, who I got to work with on a Jeannie Baroga piece a long time ago. Feels like a lot of these people are a long time ago. James Carpenter's birthday is coming up this week. Uh, when you talk about those Bay Area, you know, the veterans, the folks who've been in the trenches for the long haul, James Carpenter is probably top of the list. He's amazing. Um, and yet he's, you know, he's getting older, but he's still doing it. And same day, October 27th, is Aaron Wilton's birthday. Aaron, I met when I was running Oakland Public Theater, and I auditioned him for a show. He said, we've talked since. He said he had just gotten to town um, then, and he's gone on to be sort of an unofficial equity representative, um, and he works with Playground. So, Reg, if you haven't seen him yet, you will see him. Carlos Barone's birthday is coming up. He was a professor at San Francisco State, um, and... I, because of Carlos, helped start the Multicultural Theater Project there. Hi, hi, hi. Carlos has an amazing way of kind of going, oh, you're interested in doing this? Okay, you take this on, and then comes back and adds twice as much work on you. I learned a lot about producing by working with Carlos, because he's always got a vision of how he can do more. If you look like you can get something done, Carlos will add to it. A couple more. Sarah Cavier, who I actually knew as... Wow, I'm not going to say her name. We were in high school together, and um, and she changed her name at one point, and then she got married, um, and it's her birthday coming up. Karen Schleifler, who is the production manager for SF Shakes, um, and was the stage manager for As You Like It last summer, and is that it? Almost. Andy Trindle uh, was somebody I met with a very small theater company called Second Wind. Um, and she and her partner at the time, um, Ian Walker, uh, were running this little theater company. And I get, that's when I got to do some August Wilson work. Uh, not August Wilson. Ooh. Take that out of my mouth. No, um, Atoll Fugard. That's ah, how I became very difference. familiar. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, Heidi Gatti. Heidi Hernandez Gatti. I met as a director when the whole... Uh, response to the war to the iraq war came up and we were all across the country doing liz estrada she directed me in that and she is also an amazing stage manager and molly noble finally last on my list um is a wonderful actress strong director and they had a company porchlight theater they were doing at the ross valley garden center they were doing these outdoor shows and instead of doing shakespeare they were doing Chekhov these beautiful productions of Chekhov out under the trees. Uh, Molly is still teaching up at um, Marin, College of Marin. Those are my birthday shout outs for the week. Okay, and I'll uh, do list. mine real, <laughs> real quick. Uh, Marla Cox, we've talked about her last week. Uh, she was in my musical, uh, Nia, she, and that was part of the Musical Cafe, which is the musical version of the Play Cafe. Um, and it was great to work with uh, Marla, and she's always working, a great singer. Her yeah. birthday is today. Also today, Matty Q, Matthew Quarles. He was a stage manager when we did Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown. I'm pointing ah. to the poster there. Mm. Um, and he's just a fantastic. I talked I talked about the story last week about his handling of a, a gun prop that we had and how professional oh, right. he was. Yeah. So Matty Q, happy birthday to you. Also tomorrow, uh, I'm sure you gave this to me, Priya Gayadine. I did. <laughs> she was my R Velvet when we did Four Men in Paris, and she's doing stand-up comedy. Um, oh, is she doing part Plethos? of the, she's part of the comedy show with Plethos? Yeah, exactly. And she appears to be really enjoying herself. I see her posts on uh, Instagram all the time, especially with her son. She has a son, Jaden, uh, and right. she's really, really proud. Um, proud and she sing. did. Um, and wasn't she in their Much Ado that they did? I believe so. Yeah, their virtual yeah. Much Ado. Yeah. Yeah. So usually it's it's fascinating how a theater company can love an actor or an actress so much that they you know that that actor becomes a mainstay for the company and it's a wonderful marriage that that sort of happens so priya happy birthday to you also on thursday alex frankel alex frankel is a great singer and actor i worked with him uh the texas chainsaw musical and that was part of the um the 
Oh, shucks. I know Exit Theater does it all the time. Uh, the French. Oh, the French Festival, yeah. French Festival. I have no idea if they're doing the French Festival these days, but I, I, guess we'll I can't imagine how they could right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But in any case, Alex Frankel, happy birthday to you wherever you are. Also on Friday, Mariana Wolf and Mariana Wolf, she was a guest on the A. She was the um, the musical director for the. Um, I'm looking at the poster right now, the Douglas Morrison Theater. So I've done a bunch of musicals. I've done One Hit in the Shade. I've done Candide. I've done Grey Gardens. And she was always the musical director. And she does a magnificent job. And uh, I want to say happy birthday to her. And yes. I thought I had one more. Yes, on Friday, um, Andrew Miramontes, Andy Miramontes. And I acted, or no, I stage managed for him. Uh, Debbie Does Dallas, the musical which was a really, really fun, romping and really crazy musical uh, based on the porn uh, thing. And that was, we did that at the Eureka Theater. I swear it was sold out. I mean, people were paying to sit on the stairs. Um, it was such a fun musical and Andy was a big, big part of that. And so Andy's birthday is Friday. Uh, Saturday, I guess I'll save that for Saturday. Shows. Yeah. Um, we, how weird, there are shows. Um, so the, uh, the stage, or San Jose Stage Company, um, is going to be doing Night of the Living Dead. Um, it's a virtual thing, but they are taking the George Romero film and, um, and reimagining it. I'm not sure what that means. I'm just amazed and, and thrilled to hear that somebody's putting out shows. And then uh, SF Playhouse, I think, has one coming up, and I'm waiting for it to pop up, but... Um, yeah, so those were the two companies where this week I got I got notices and I was like, "What? You're you're doing a play? <laughs> I don't know how you're doing it, but you know somehow." Yeah. They are. So I will um, I'll push a couple of things. Uh, Night of the Living. I don't know if you talked about this already. Um, San Jose Stage. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. And I'm not sure uh, why did I have this because a friend of mine is on here. Um, no, Town Hall Theater's doing it. Night of the Living. Oh, really? On, on, yeah, on Friday, October the 30th at 8 p.m. Wow. I have it on here. That's Don, funny. Don Hardwick, Terrence Smith, both of them have been uh, on the A as guests, yes. and they are doing it. So Night of the Living, also Downtown Crossing streams live October the 22nd through the 25th. And I'm trying to see who else is in here. I have a, yeah, Echo Yamamoto. Uh, we've had her on the show. Yes. And uh, she, they're doing that. So I'll have that uh, on my, on the links. The Flats Aurora Theater, we've talked about this. Kari Moy is uh, doing that. They're releasing three episodes, one week apart, beginning uh, October the 23rd. And I've talked about this. Uh, this actually begins next week, the not so, the private life of the not so master race. This is the Breck project that I've been talking at nauseum about. Yes. Five pieces, judicial process will be a part of uh, five pieces uh, that will be streaming um, on October the 27th, the 28th, and the 29th. And we'll have links hey, hey. to that as well. And I'm very, very excited. As a matter of fact, immediately after we finish this, there's a rehearsal, Zoom oh. rehearsal that we'll be doing. Okay. Also, uh, Tabard Theater is doing uh, a piece called Trying, and that'll be November the 6th. Uh, a good friend of ours, Melinda Mambuis. Um, she was the one that we had on the A and she talked about her struggles with, uh, I forget what illness she had, but uh, she survived that. And she you know, talked about how wonderful theater has been in her life. Uh, mm -hmm. In any case, she is the lead actress in that show. And that'll be November the 6th. And those Art. are the shows. <laughs> Art is yes, Yasmina Reza's uh, play Art is what is at uh, San Jose Playhouse. And that is now starting today. Right uh, on November seventh, and yeah, of course it's on. It's still online, so well, someday there will be live theater again. Yeah, um, Kayla, are you um, are you yeah. promoting anything, doing anything these days? Um, I have something being worked on, but that's not okay. Official, official yet. <laughs> um, so hopefully, hopefully at some point soon. But um, yeah, right we'll do well. Uh, by all means, send us a link, and you know, even you know, if it's um, a week or a month or whatever, we'll definitely post it. We'll push, you know, whatever you're doing because you're a rising star. I, I get the feeling that you know we haven't met before, but every now and then, you never know who's going to be on the show and uh, where they're going, and who knows, a year, two years, five years from now, we'll be hearing your name. So we thank you so and much. Next for being week, we'll we'll be we'll, we'll be talking more next week. 
<laughs> uh, yeah, there you go. Kayla, did you enjoy yourself? Absolutely. Thank you guys so much for having me. You yeah, I wish we had more time, but, uh, you know, we, you know, you've got things to do and we've got things to do. So um, uh, I guess here's where I uh, do my little splurb. Um, you're probably looking at this on YouTube. If you are, please like and subscribe, click on that like tab and uh, let us know your comments, both good and bad, and we'll be happy to take that in. Um, if you are a if you're listening to this regularly via the podcast app, we're on all podcast uh, apps. Uh, we're on Spotify. We're on the um, the that purple um, podcast app that you have on your iPhones and iPads. And we're also on iTunes. And if you're an Android user, you can go on SoundCloud.com or just go on uh, use the SoundCloud app and you'll find us. The Yay was created by theater people for theater people. If you have a show you want to advertise or if you just want to advertise yourself, let us know. Hit us up on Twitter. Snapchat, Instagram, Facebook. I'm at Red Space Clay. And I'm at Who's Your Hoosier? Kayla, do you have uh, any social media that people can directly contact you? Um, yeah. I'm Website. at Kayla M. Kaufman. I'm sorry? Um, I'm at Kayla M. Kaufman. Okay. Is that Instagram, uh, Twitter? That is both. Yeah. Right on. And we'll have a link to that. Thank you so much. And as Norman and I always say, we, we gotta, gotta find, find a better, better side off. off. And we are out. <laughs>